from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, a combative hearing in the House Armed Services Committee as the Pentagon trio, Secretary Austin, General Milley, and General McKenzie, once again attempted to defend the Biden administration's disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. We're supposed to believe that the president was either not informed by you of these very important factors or he forgot it. Either one is alarming. That was Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson during today's hearing. We'll get more about the hearing from Missouri Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, who is also a member of the committee. Democratic lawmakers in the House Rules Committee have teed up yet another attempt at enlisting Republicans in raising the debt ceiling. This, even though Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell has been resolute that Republicans would not aid the Democrats in more reckless spending. This latest action comes as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned lawmakers Tuesday that the federal government would hit its financially uh, financial borrowing wall by October the 18th. Texas Congressman Michael Burgess, a member of both the House Rules Committee and the House Budget Committee, is here with more in just a little while. Where uh, do Americans stand on President Biden's get a jab or lose your job? Well, just say the vast majority are not with the president. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist and pollster with the Trafalgar Group, shares the results of a just-released poll that legacy media most likely will ignore. Also, last night in Virginia, the two candidates for governor squared off in a debate, Republican Glenn Youngkin and Democrat Terry McAuliffe. You won't believe what McAuliffe actually admitted. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out and make their own decisions. Not let parents make their own decision about public education, what their kids are learning? Well, we'll talk about it a little bit later here on Washington Watch. And as we discussed earlier in the week, leaked documents revealed the Coast Guard chaplains were being directed to grill service members who requested exemptions to the vaccines based on religious grounds of uh, the members' religious beliefs and practices with the apparent goal of getting the member to fall in line with the vaccine mandate. The question is, is this an appropriate use of military chaplains? We'll talk with retired Vice Admiral Dean Lee later here on Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home, it's all archived right there at TonyPerkins.com. Let me Again, uh, remind you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can listen to Washington Watch no matter where you are in the world. But more importantly, it is activism at your fingertips. It will give you alerts as to when you need to get involved, whether it's a state issue, federal issue, or sometimes even local issues. So download the Stand Firm app. And let me remind you, tonight, 8 p.m., it's Wednesday evening, and 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray Vote Stand, our weekly edition What will America soon look like if President Biden's vaccine mandate is not stopped? That's what we'll look at tonight. We'll be joined uh, in by Christopher Frere, an attorney representing healthcare workers in New York and elsewhere. Attorney General Mike, uh, Attorney General Mark Burnovich of Arizona will be with us, as will Jennifer Bridges, a nurse in the Houston area who was fired for not getting the vaccine. She'll tell her story. And Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hill will join us. I hope you will as well. That's 8 p.m. Eastern Time tonight. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, Joint Chiefs Chairman Mark Milley, 
and head of the U.S. Central Command, General Kenneth McKenzie, appeared before the House Armed Services Committee today in a six-hour session yesterday before the Parallel Senate Committee. All three generals insisted their advice was to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan, contradicting what President Biden had previously said to George Stephanopoulos. There's only three possibilities here. Either the president lied to the American people, or he legitimately cannot remember the counsel of his top military advisors in winding down the longest war in American history, or you have not been fully accurate under oath. General McKenzie, I'll ask you, which is it? I'm going to be very direct. I cannot share advice I give the president, and I will not do that. I will also tell you, though, that it's been my consistent position throughout this hearing and the hearing yesterday that I believe the appropriate level of our forces in Afghanistan should have been 2,500. I, th I think we can uh, take that to mean that you gave him that advice. Let so me right, ask so right, I would not take it to mean anything other than the words. Fair I enough. Again, that was Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana, a member of the committee. Joining us now to talk about today's hearing is another member of the committee, U.S. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler, who represents the 4th District of Missouri. She is also the chair of the House Values Action Team. Congresswoman Hartzler, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, you asked some hard questions today, uh, drilling down on the relationship uh, that um, General Milley had with the media in particular talking uh, about, uh, you know, all of the, the tell-all that he did in this book, but also this relationship with China and giving China a heads up if America were to take actions against them. It's very disturbing, the allegations made uh, in this book that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, would call up the head general in China and tell him that if we were going to attack China, I'd call you and give you a heads up and let you know. I mean, that is just, in my opinion, treasonous. And I wanted to hear from him directly if that was true or not. He started to just give general answers, but I made sure that I got him on record. Did you or did you not tell General Xi that if we were going to attack, that you would give him a heads up? And he admitted that he said, well, I, it was a lengthy conversation, but I said, uh, you know, I wanted to reassure him, and I said, well, well, sure, hey, I'd even give you a call if we were going to do that. So he admitted that he did that, and I told him I believe that is grounds for him to resign. Uh, that is something you do not do for our country. I do believe it's treasonous. When China is our number one threat and our adversary, you don't tell them that you're going to give them a heads up if we are going to conduct the military operation. So um, it is very sad that he did that, and it, it brings into question his leadership of our military. So, Congresswoman Hartzler, based on today's hearings, of course, you were able to observe yesterday's hearings in the, in the Senate. Uh, any new information, anything that uh, you found surprising, shocking, informative from today's hearing? Well, I think it was just a, a further emphasizing that President Biden lied. Uh, on ABC when he was being interviewed, and he said, you know, no one advised me that staying, you know, we needed 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Clearly, we heard yesterday as well as today from the three generals who testified that that was their professional opinion that was shared, and clearly the president made that decision. And because of that, uh, Americans died. Uh, we also got confirmation regarding Bagram Air Base and why they left and abandoned that very strategic 
uh, installation. And it was, once again, the decision of the State Department and the White House that said, we're going to go down from 2,500 to 650. Uh, and that is the minimum that was needed in order to protect the embassy. And so the general said we had to pull those soldiers away from Bagram. And they did so in the middle of the night. And then, of course, the order came further to go down to zero. So we found that out. We also got confirmation when they said there are tens of billions of dollars of military equipment that were left there. Uh, I am demanding and want to see an actual list of that. But there was enough equipment that they conducted a military parade uh, showcasing and championing all this equipment that they got. And I have heard, if it is true, that they kept all of the aircraft that was uh, left there that we provided to Afghan security forces that now the Taliban has the third largest air force of, of any country in the world. And that is just uh, horrific. It is not acceptable. And it's very concerning that when the generals also said that they believe between uh, six months and 36 months from now, uh, Al Qaeda and ISIS will be reconstituted and will once again be a threat to us here in the United States. So all the way around, this is a debacle of the making of this administration, and it is not only cost American lives uh, with the 13 service members who were killed, but it is endangering us into the future as well. Now, speaking of the 13 uh, members, mostly Marines, and I think uh, one, one other service member, a Navy uh, corpsman that was uh, killed in that attack, um, you asked some questions regarding that today as well as to that suicide bomber, did you not? Uh, no, I tried to get uh, further information uh, from, from Secretary Austin about another topic, but uh, I was trying to hone down on this prison that was at Bagram Air Base, because oh. as part of us abandoning Bagram Air Base, we abandoned this prison, and we believe there's between five and 7,000 uh, ISIS terrorists as well as uh, a Taliban terrorists that ultimately were released. And my question had to do with, was it true or not that one of these prisoners who was a CIA uh, imprisoned terrorist was the individual who conducted the suicide bombing at the airport? And uh, unfortunately, time ran out uh, as far as Secretary Austin talked and talked and wouldn't give the answer before I was cut off. But this is horrific. It is very, very concerning. Media reports say it was, that it, this was an individual that had uh, gone to India and had gone to college there. India had let us know about his terrorist connections, and our CIA had arrested him, put him in that jail. And then when we abandoned it, he was released, and he was the one that carried out the suicide bombing that ended up killing 13 members of our military. That's what media reports had, but yet General Austin refused to answer it. He said, I'll have to take that for the record. So we're going to hold him accountable for that. And uh, I expect to see that answer in writing. When we talk about the Taliban, you mentioned they now have the third, third largest air force with the materials that we left behind, not to mention 350,000 uh, M-16s and uh, I think 35,000 machine guns, uh, just to name a few items that was left behind for them. The uh, the Taliban, are they not a terrorist, uh, listed as a terrorist organization? Well, they, they are, and they need to be uh, 
treated as such and not as an ally and partner. In Secretary Austin's testimony, he talked about uh, and, and lauded their evacuation efforts that was carried out at the International Airport there in Kabul. And so we work with our allies and we set up a processing center and exceeded all expectations. Well, the processing uh, system that was put in place involved giving the Taliban the names and the, the identification of our American citizens, and they vetted the individuals at the gates that were coming in and either let them in or did not let them in. And so I don't call that a system that we should be proud of, especially when we end up leaving Americans in Afghanistan. And we didn't hear much about what they are doing to try to get out our citizens now. They used the excuse why we didn't let them out earlier is that, well, we agreed with with Afghanistan government that if we started pulling our people out or the SIV special immigrant uh, visa applicants out too soon, it could destabilize the situation and, and endanger people. I don't think so. Uh, you need to get your American citizens out first. You need to get out the individuals who fought alongside us, who risked their lives and their family lives serving as interpreters and were vital to our uh, operations there. You need to get them out first. You don't wait and then leave them like this administration has done. Yeah, that was uh, a disturbing um, absence uh, that there was not much discussion or information provided about what's being done for those left behind. Congressman Vicki Hartzer, always great to talk with you. Thank you for uh, joining us today and uh, a great job in the committee hearing today. Thank you, Tony. All right, coming up next, folks, uh, Democratic lawmakers in the House Rules Committee teed up another attempt at enlisting Republicans in raising the debt ceiling. I don't think it's going to work. We're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. 
More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad that you are with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Coming up tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, our weekly edition of Pray, Vote, Stand. We'll be looking at what America would look like if we do not stop the Biden vaccine mandate. That's tonight, 8 p.m. Lots of guests on tonight. Uh, Also, coming up next week, our first inaugural Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. It'll be at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Find out more about how you can be a part of it. Go to TonyPerkins.com. Okay, Uh, we talked about this, actually talked about it Monday, talked about it Tuesday. There is this confluence of actions here in Washington. Big week on Capitol Hill because there are some things that are kind of colliding. One is... Uh, a continuing resolution to fund government. Government will cease. Well, not really. Uh, it will run out of money. It's actually ran out of money a long time ago. They've just been spending money they don't have. But nonetheless, the authorization bills end at uh, 12.01 a.m. Friday morning. So they, they're working on this continuing resolution to fund government for a little bit longer until they can get the appropriations bills. Okay? Add to that they are bumping up against this ceiling of their ability to borrow money or print money. And that, according to the Secretary of the Treasurer, will be completely exhausted October the 18th. So they have to raise the debt ceiling. Well, today in the House Rules Committee, there was another attempt uh, to get a measure through that would essentially enlist Republicans in the Senate to lift the debt ceiling uh, so that more money could be spent. Now, this debt ceiling would be lifted until December the 17th, 2022, which is at the very end of the current Congress. And if passed, the bill would enable Democrats to spend as much as they want. There would be no limit on the debt ceiling. Um, But I can tell you, I don't think it's going anywhere in the Senate. Joining us now to talk all about this, Michael Burgess. He represents the 26th District of Texas. He serves on both the House Rules Committee that handled this today and the Budget Committee. He's also the senior member of the Energy and Commerce Committee, so he's a busy guy, but he joins us now. Congressman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thanks for having me on, Tony. You're right. It has been a busy day, but, oh, boy, what a a feast for someone who... who who loves public policy, the only, only problem is this is all bad policy. 
Yeah, okay, so what's up here? We know uh, Mitch McConnell's been very clear. The Senate Republicans are not going to vote to raise the debt ceiling, but yet here's another measure that's going to probably, I don't know if you voted on it yet, you'll vote on it this evening uh, or by tomorrow, and this is going to go over to the Senate. They're going to reject it. What's this all about? Correct. We will vote on it actually uh, probably in about 10 minutes' time here. At this on the House side, I don't think they'll get any Republican votes. They'll pass it because they have a bare majority in the House. Uh, it will go over to the Senate. They, it will be subject to their filibuster rules, so they will not have the votes to pass it in the Senate. So it's one of those things is dead on arrival. Eventually, they do have, of course, their reconciliation bill, and they can pass things with 50 votes in the Senate if they can get everyone to play play along. So they have the ability to raise the debt ceiling with Democrat-only votes. Uh, so this is all a sham about that we're, we're, we're playing with the full faith and credit of the United States. The problem is they want this blank check to spend as much as they want for, what is it, for uh, uh, 14 or 15 months. That's no way to uh, uh, have a responsible federal government. You know what's going to happen. And then, of course, you've got the Bernie Sanders uh, two, I'm sorry, $3.5 trillion bill that's hanging out there in the wings. The only way to pass that is to get the extension of the debt limit, essentially limit that way they can spend whatever they want. So they all, that's where it all fits together. But I think Leader McConnell is right. It's not this one we're doing right now on the House floor is going nowhere in the Senate. Yeah, I was talking with uh, some over on the Senate side today, and and their take on this. This is all about uh, political posturing by the Democratic Party. They know the Republicans won't support it. They'll ultimately have to put it in reconciliation, but they want to uh, they want to be able to pin this on Republicans. This reckless spending, and I'll have to say, I commend the Republicans uh, this time for saying we're not going to have any part in this. Well, and there's so many bad things in that reconciliation bill. I. You know, having the privilege of serving on energy and commerce, where about a half a trillion dollars of the spending occurs, and serving on the budget committee. Tony, we marked up a, a three and a half trillion dollar spending bill in the budget committee on a Zoom call late Saturday night. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. It was a stinking Zoom call that spent three and a half trillion dollars. Oh, and by the way, we don't even have a CBO score on it. So the committee on the budget passed a bill without input from the Congressional Budget Office. I mean, it just it simply defies gravity that they could govern this way. Well, in, in, in that $3.5 trillion, the $3 trillion, the $1.5 trillion that they're pushing through, all of this has actually pushed aside the responsibility that they have to pass appropriations bills, which... Oh. Uh, fund normal actions of government. So we're talking about the, you know, $7 trillion. I mean, this is huge numbers. This is on top of the regular appropriations, is it not? Yes, it is. And here's the damage from not doing appropriations in the normal way. I cannot get a phone call answered from any of the federal agencies. They don't need to talk to me because we're not writing their appropriations bills like we normally would. They don't have to worry about getting the votes of a Texas congressman, just uh, put him on the list and we'll call him when he would get around to it. We cannot have federal agencies non-responsive to the uh, to the people's representatives, but that's basically what we've got now. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's why the Congress has the purse strings. It holds the executive branch uh, accountable for their actions, which affect your constituents. 
correct. The administrative state right now says we don't need to talk to you, Mr. Congressman. We just talked to the White House. And then, you know, this one for me, as a Texas representative, it buried within this huge reconciliation bill. They want to expand Medicaid in the state. Right. And no protections uh, for uh, the no hide protection. So you're going to force taxpayers to be a part of funding abortion. It's just uh, unbelievable. Uh, Congressman Burgess, always great to talk to you. Thanks so yes, much sir. for uh, joining us today. Good deal. Thank you. An overwhelming majority of Americans disagree with the idea that you got to get a jab or lose your job. We'll talk about it with Robert Cahaley with the Trafalgar Group on a poll just released that shows, well, an overwhelming majority are not with the president on this. So stick with us. We're coming back with more Washington Watch right after this. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. The war over vaccine mandates continues to heat up. Hundreds of hospital employees have been fired and thousands have been placed on leave. Uh, 5,000 reportedly in New York City alone. New York State has imposed a vaccine mandate on healthcare, the healthcare industry, uh, with no exceptions for religion or weekly testing. Now that's uh, currently being uh, de- decided in court. 
but about 16% of the workforce, the healthcare workforce in New York is unvaccinated, and that's about 83,000. What happens if uh, they leave? Well, the uh, on Tuesday, New York Governor uh, Kathy uh, Hochul said there are not legitimate religious exemptions because the leaders of all organized religions have said there is no legitimate reason. Well, uh, that's not what everybody is saying. But what do the American people say? Should someone be able to be fired simply because they object to a vaccine? Well, the Trafalgar Group and Convention of States Action uh, did a poll uh, on this very issue, surveyed the American public, and here to explain the results, Robert Cahaley, senior strategist and pollster with the Trafalgar Group. Uh, Robert, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's nice to be on the show. All right. Explain to our listeners, Robert, what your survey found. Well, what we found is it was a, you know, a bipartisan consensus. Uh, every single group uh, was opposed to people being fired. Uh, it's a 65 percent overall. And uh, we had 83 uh, percent of Republicans and 63 uh, percent of uh, independents. And even 47 uh, percent of Democrats were opposed to this. And with, uh, you know, a much smaller uh, minorities being for it. So this is, you know, extreme position. The other thing, as we're finding on almost everything related to COVID, is independents are lining up with Republicans. and The Democrats are, uh, you know, of the three, the, the one that's most different. But uh, this is a national consensus. There's no question uh, people think that's too far. Well, when you look at national elections or really almost any election today, one of the reasons uh, we have issues with elections that are so narrowly decided. They're decided by a few votes. Everything is so split. So when you get, if you had a president that got 65% of the vote, he would declare a landslide victory and a mandate. So when you've got 65% of Americans across the board, Republican, Democrat, Independent, saying they do not agree with a mandate that someone who does not get a vaccine should lose their job, that's pretty overwhelming in today's world. It certainly is overwhelming, and, and, and I think that's – there's just a, a disconnect, I think, in whether it's the media or Washington and where the public actually is and where they want them to be. Uh, you know, look at any of these college football stadiums. I mean, the, the road, traffic, I mean, any storm. And go to Home Depot on Saturday morning. People are not huddled up at home worried about COVID anymore. So what else did you uh, uncover in this uh, survey on the mandates? Well, just generally that this is that this is seen as, as too far. We, you know, we've done a, a, a lot of different surveys on COVID. I mean, even when you start dealing with things like masks, uh, people think that's a parental decision that, you know, maybe they want their kids to wear a mask, but they don't want the government telling. I mean, it, it, it all comes down to. Uh, this, you know, people still look, this is still America. And they see examples of what's going on in places like Australia. It, you know, it, it, it's kind of like religion never takes when somebody's forced to, to, to do it. They have to change their heart. And, uh, you know, vaccines are much the same. Convince somebody to take it, yes. Tell them they have to take it, and they start getting their back up. That's, that's what Americans do by nature. So, Robert, are you seeing any trends in your surveys or polling? Well, one, again, that Republicans seem to be much more lined up with independents than our Democrats. I mean, that is the most significant thing, whereas independents in the past have been right down the middle. 
they are definitely siding with Republicans on almost every issue we're following these days. So can you project what uh, implications that could have uh, in the midterm elections? I mean, if you've got uh, independents lining up on the policies with Republicans, I would think that that would tend to suggest they may line up with them in election. I think so. The only thing I've seen that can affect how people vote that goes even beyond their ideology is when they get used to the government sending them a check, they're going to vote to keep the check even over their ideology. So what the Republicans are doing to block this uh, $3.5 trillion and uh, is, is critically important because we learned one thing in the Georgia runoff when the debate became over the $1,400 versus the $600. People will vote their pocketbooks, and they, w- they will vote against uh, ideology they agree with if it means money in their pocket. So that means the Democrats have to buy more votes, essentially, with uh, taxpayer money. I mean, sure. Get rid of jobs, make people government dependent. That is a recipe for winning elections. And destroying a country. Uh, Glad to. Robert, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Uh, always find your polling uh, very interesting because it has uh, significant accuracy uh, from a historical perspective. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Robert Cahaley with uh, the Trafalgar Group. Uh, they actually were. They were like the most accurate uh, polling group in 2016. All right, last night uh, there was another debate in the gubernatorial race in Virginia. Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, uh, squaring off with uh, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican. It was very insightful as to what uh, Terry McAuliffe, who had been governor before, what he said about parents getting involved in children's education, in their children's education, and in their schools. Um, Well, I'll let you hear it when we come back. All I can say is the arrogance is unbelievable. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. 
These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. Right, yesterday we were uh, discussing the school board in the uh, here in the Virginia area where a mother kind of got a tip from another mother in Texas looked in the library to find these pornographic books and she checked one out took it to the school board meeting and she read from it and she was uh, she was cut off by the chairperson uh, at the school board meeting because he said, oh, we have children present, Uh, because it was, we didn't play actually what the, as she read the book, I listened to it, it was uh, unbelievably graphic, no no value whatsoever in the book. So last night, during the Virginia governor's uh, debate, the former governor, Terry McAuliffe, responded to what happened at this uh, school board meeting last week when the parents spoke out against this, against this sexually explicit material that was found in the school library. Here is the clip of last night's debate. Veto books, Glenn. Not to be knowledge about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So... Yeah, I snapped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. So I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. All right. So there was actually a bill that the the Republican legislature passed when Terry McAuliffe was governor that would have given parents the ability to know what was happening in the classrooms and remove their kids uh, and just I mean, they're their kids. They pay the taxes. They it's their kids. They send them to the schools. Terry McAuliffe vetoed that, and that was the point of this last night, this parent bringing this issue up, and Glenn Youngkin was saying, well, you vetoed the bill that would give the parents the right to keep this type of stuff out of the classroom or at least keep their kids from being exposed to it. This is the, this represents what the left is doing today, how they are indoctrinating our children, not with just philosophies and ideas, but 
with material that is damaging. I mean, you, you, you can Google it, and you can see what book that they're talking about, but there, you don't have to go far. There are many, many books like this. In fact, we've got a resource at the Family Research Council that Meg Kilgannon, our senior uh, fellow for education uh, resources, she's put this together, A Concerned Citizen's Guide to Engaging with Public Schools. Uh, it's on our homepage at frc.org. And it'll kind of give you some ideas of what to do and, and how to go about uncovering some of these things. And then I tell you what, all you have to do is, is shine a little light on it, you know, find out what some of these books are, have your kids go in the library, check them out, and then confront the school board with it. There's something happening across the country, and quite frankly, I am encouraged by it. As we see more and more parents, mothers in particular, who are going into these school board meetings and demanding accountability of what is happening in the classrooms. That's the only way. That is the only way we're going to change public education and end this indoctrination by the left. And we need parents to run for those school boards. Uh, we need parent. We need more Christians to go into teaching. Um, now, I, I'll say this again. I, I, I say it quite frequently. You know, parents, God gave you the responsibility and the authority to educate your children. He said, train up a child in the way they should go. That is not to the school. That is not to the teacher. It's not to the school board. Now, you can delegate the authority, but you cannot delegate the responsibility. God will hold you and me accountable for what our children learn and what they're taught. And there are so many, so many influences that are coming at them from various directions today. You have the media, social media, the culture. It's a fallen culture. And then you add in that six to eight hours a day in school, um, and you're trying to balance it off with... Uh, Maybe an hour or two a week at church. Maybe you have devotions in your home, which I hope you do. Uh, that's why our two-year Bible reading program, we promote it for families to use that. But here's the bottom line. We should not be sacrificing our children in public schools. I believe we need to take every action we can to get them out of the public schools. If you can homeschool them, private school, whatever. But these schools have become extremely dangerous for our children spiritually, emotionally, and, and quite frankly, educationally. They're not learning much, very, learning very little. So, uh, you know, prayerfully consider that. I know for some that's not an option. But for all of us, we have to influence these public schools and take them back from the left because whether or not – we're able to get our kids out or not, there's going to be the majority of kids left in these schools, and we need to get them out and help them um, at least create an environment where they can learn and not be indoctrinated by the left. Anyway, go to the website, frc.org, and you can uh, download a Concerned Citizen's Guide to Engaging with uh, Public Schools. We're going to be talking a lot about that. Well, another issue uh, we've been talking about is this uh, vaccine, the vaccine mandate. I'm not opposed to the vaccine, okay? I've said that before. I think you need to make that decision based upon your health situation as to whether or not you need to get the vaccine. I'm against the mandate. Um, and I'm opposed to firing people who refuse to take these shots. 
Yet at uh, President Biden's direction, all branches of the military are moving to compel all service members to get these shots. And they're doing so uh, really kind of trampling on the religious exemptions that some are seeking. They claim uh, that they are allowing these exemptions, but so far they haven't granted any. In fact, we talked about this earlier in the week. The Coast Guard, Coast Guard officials are working to uh, ensure that they don't have to. Documents leaked last week show that Coast Guard officials were directing chaplains to file detailed reports on any service members expressing a religious objection to the shots and then conduct these extensive cross-examinations looking for weaknesses in their religious beliefs with the apparent goal of getting them to fall in line with the mandated vaccines. Now, the document, uh, the documents that were leaked include a bullet list of questions for chaplains to ask. To me, it's very, very troubling of how they are using these chaplains. Uh, here to discuss this is retired Vice Admiral Dean Lee. He served 35 years in the Coast Guard. Admiral Lee, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Well, thank you, Tony. A pleasure to be here, sir. Let me ask you this. In, in your years with the Coast Guard, uh, did you ever see anything like this where we saw this such a pressure on uh, members to get vaccinations or take other health care steps like this? Well, I don't think I ever saw anything that drew this much attention. I mean, obviously, when you when you enlist or you sign up to serve any of the armed forces, um, you, there's a litany of of vaccinations and shots that you have to take. And, and frankly, I never questioned any of them. Um, and, and you just take them and you get on with it. Uh, in this particular case, it... Um, this is a true conundrum for our existing leadership. They're they're wrestling with this, and I, I got to give them, got to give those folks who took the reins up after guys like me retired. You know, I don't know what the shelf life of a retired admiral is, uh, but I've been retired five years. But I'm telling you that the the batch that's currently in charge have wrestled with a lot of things that I never had to deal with. I never dealt with a shutdown of government where my workforce didn't get paid. Uh, I never had to deal with anything like COVID. Uh, I had never had to deal with anything where we were forcing people to take a vaccination that many of them, frankly, find um, uh, were fearful uh, for either religious convictions or, or, or otherwise. And, and so it truly is a difficult leadership dilemma that, uh, that they're wrestling with now over. Well, I had Ron remember when I went into the Marine Corps, they didn't ask me if I wanted shots. Uh, you know, I just rolled up my sleeve and, uh, and, and I got a lot of them. Uh, but those were immunizations and shots that had been around for quite some time. And uh, there were no questions about uh, the efficacy of, of those or even the side effects. This is new. It's just been rolled out. A lot of people concerned also the process by which they were developed in some cases using embryonic stem cells uh, in their testing and some in their production. So some have expressed religious exemptions or religious concerns about this, seeking religious exemptions. Uh, this, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the documents that uh, were leaked from uh, Coast Guard uh, attorneys, uh, lawyers, JAGs that were working with the Coast Guard, uh, but it looked to me as if chaplains were being enlisted 
in this effort to try to sway members to get these uh, these shots. Uh, my only concern with this is that that relationship between a chaplain and a service member is kind of a special relationship. And it appears in this case that chaplains were being used uh, to try to accomplish a, a goal of the uh, of the Coast Guard leadership. Well, I read the document, yes, sir, and I appreciate you forwarding that to me. Um, so here's where I stand on it. Uh, you know, as a prior operational commander, and when I retired, I was the Atlantic Area Commander, so I had the largest command in, in our service. And um, and so I reached out today, and I talked to some senior leaders. I've talked to a, a, a senior enlisted person. I've talked to two chaplains today to get there, and I've talked to a, a senior civilian uh, about their take on all of this. Um, where I stand on it is this. First off, I'm pro-vaccine. I got the vaccine, my wife and I, just as soon as it came out. I'm 66 years old. I thought that, um, I mean, I trusted it, and, and I am i don't have any regrets whatsoever about it. I've had a number of people, former colleagues, um, that worked with me, for me, uh, that had called me who had issues, concerns about it. Uh, they know that I'm, um, I'm a devout Christian, and... Um, they were looking this through the lens of religious uh, accommodation, and they wanted to know my take. And I said, look, um, I, 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 this is all about readiness. If I were the operational commander, uh, my, my number one goal is to keep my force ready, ready to deploy, ready to respond. And I would be encouraging everybody that uh, is willing to take the shot to do just that, take the shot. However, break, break. Um there's two things that, that I was willing to throw my stars on the table for when I was on active duty, and one of them was religious freedom. And if somebody's standing on their constitutional right to exercise their religious freedom, and, and they've got a truly, a, a true religious, you know, reason not to take the vaccine, I stand fully behind them. And I don't think that government should be forcing them to take the vaccine under those circumstances. And that, unfortunately, is a predicament that I think many of our leaders are finding themselves in today. Over. I, I think you're right. I think this is a I, I do. I am sympathetic to those in, that have been thrust into this position that are in leadership positions. But uh, I'm, I'm also concerned, Admiral, and you and I have had many conversations, haven't talked in a while, but the. Uh, What's happened in our military over the last uh, 10 years is that we see uh, there has been a, a subtle shift in indifference, if not open hostility to, to faith. And so when I see these red flags, I've become very concerned about things like this. I concur. And I appreciate you expressing those concerns because I share the same concerns, sir. Do you think the current leadership in the uh, in the Coast Guard, since that's the branch you served in, are they going to be able to uh, to navigate this? Well, I have full faith and confidence in our current uh, you know ca cachet of leaders. I mean, they're former friends of mine, former colleagues. Uh, I I know them. I've served with them, and I respect them. While we may not all agree. On uh, on all of these issues, I I do have full faith and confidence that they will, to the best of their ability, do the right thing. And I think, um, you know, to one of them, one of the senior leaders I talked to today regarding this issue, he is 
truly trying to find the, you know, that that right answer, that sweet spot that accommodates those people who who need to be accommodated, but also at the same time gets his workforce ready so that they can continue to meet mission, if, if you will. Yeah. And right now, they're a little bit short. Um, they're looking for about 97% vaccine rate. They're, they're, they're shy of that right now. And he's trying to, he, he, on one hand, they're saying they're trying to convince people that they ought to take the shot. And many people on the other side of the fence are saying, well, they're, they're being a little bit too heavy-handed on us. Um, with regard to the chaplains, I talked to one chaplain today. And um, his view on it, very simply, was that... Um, they're being a little bit too intrusive with this current line of questions. Now, I read the questions, and frankly, I think they're pretty good questions because in this particular case, we're trying to find out if it's if these folks are truly seeking a religious accommodation or if they're just seeking a loophole to get out of having to take the vaccine. Sure. And, and it takes certain questions to ascertain that. And so I don't find real fault in, in the questions that they're asking. I just uh, I, I'm sorry, Admiral, to cut you off because we're, we're out of time. Um, right. I would just say that relationship between chaplain and service member is something that has to be guarded very, very carefully. And and I'm, I'm concerned that we could be getting close to that line. Admiral, as an E5, I hate to cut you off, but we're at the end of the show. And uh, always great to talk with you, Admiral Lee. Uh, appreciate uh, you coming on today. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. All right, folks, we're out of time. Tune in tonight for Pray, Vote, Stand at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Until next time, don't forget, pray, prepare, and stand. That's your orders. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 